learn how to build a better sign and print shop from a few crusty sign guys who've made more mistakes than they care to admit. Conversations and advice on pricing, sales, marketing, workflow, growth, and more. You're listening to the Better Sign Shop Podcast with your hosts, Peter Kurunis, Michael Riley, and Bryant Gillespie. All right, guys, we are back with the next edition of the Better Sign Shop Podcast. As always, I've got my colleague, the Sign Shop Yoda, Peter Karunas. Hi, Pete. What's up, everybody? Nice to see everyone again. And we also actually have Mike, the (laughs) Sign Burrito costume with us this week. I can't. You look good in that, man. Do I? Is it working for me? It's, I could see why your wife married you. You're a stud. And then I've been we've, saying this for years. We've also got a special guest, an old friend of ours, Jeff Sherman, out on the West Coast. Jeff, you all signed dog. Jeff. Hello, hello, hello. How is everybody doing? Thanks for having me in, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Happy to have you on. Yeah, we're excited. So, so, so the, the the sign burrito thing. I, I listened to your last episode, and you had people. You you put out a challenge for people to come up with new nicknames for for Mike. So I I, I, I hope you don't mind, but I took the opportunity to, to try to throw a couple together in preparation for today's session. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to kind of throw those out there for you. Oh, I can't wait. Let's hear it. Uh, please, please uh, do. I don't uh, want to be the burrito anymore. So okay, well, save well, me, rescue well, me. Well, uh, start starting with that one. I'm actually just going to go with the sign chimichanga, Brian. You know, you, you, you got you got the sign you got the sign burrito, but I really think Mike's a bit crustier than that. Um, so oh, I'm going chimichanga. Okay, that's numero right. uno. All right, we're we're just gonna go simple. Sign master general. Sign master general. <laughs> okay. Um, Sign master general Mike. You like that yes. one or no? <laughs> Let's, Mike. You got to give like you got to rate each one of these. Okay. All right, like, okay, I like chimichanga. I like that one, but let's, I, let's back up. The, Sign chimichanga. The, the, start with the chimichanga. That one's it's so good. <laughs> I don't. I don't. <laughs> well, well, I don't, well, I don't want to like it, but I do. Uh, let's sign Master General. What, what are your thoughts on that? I'm like fifty fifty on that one. I like it. It sounds more official, but like it's not as appropriate. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm gonna go to the weakest one next, but it's you know topical. The sign husband. Congrats on the recent wedding. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that one's that one's good. We, we know we're all married to our business. Uh, you know, as, as sick as that is. Oh, Here, yeah. we'll go, we'll we'll go old school. Sign your wences. You know. <laughs> Okay. All right. It was a little weak. All right. <laughs> um, and then, and then I, you know, I have to throw this out because I was listening on my headphones yesterday. I'm going to call you the Sign Podcast, Barry White, dude. Those Ooh. dulcet, those dulcet <laughs> tones, man. White. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Those are. The sign shop, Barry White. The sign podcast, Barry White. Mike, the I'm sign the podcast, Barry White. <laughs> Give us a few bars, dude. I, I'm trying. Well, I'm trying really hard. Not. I'm trying to think of a Barry White song. My brain just went like totally spaced out of me. Hang on, let me look up some. 
my first, my last, my everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, didn't he just got married? Like, like, come on now. Did you not? I know got, you think I would. You, you didn't play any very wide at the reception. We didn't. I don't remember. Oh, that's a good <laughs> that's a good sign. Uh, right. Yeah. No, I I don't know. Like I, uh, that's a tough one. I really like I I don't want to be a Mexican, you know, <laughs> menu item. I'm kind of tired of being that, but the chimichanga is really funny. Like, I I can't help it. <laughs> All right. It's totally that, random. It makes no that sense. That definitely at all. has like, my vote. I think that is the most <laughs> well articulated name for you <laughs> beyond just being such a plain, stale burrito. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I'm going to. I'm going to go to Home Depot and get like some brown spray paint and just make this look like it's toasted. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You could do that. Absolutely. Yeah. What do you think are those little yellow things on your shoulder? What what, what would that look like? What What is that? I'm assuming it's cheddar cheese, which is really inauthentic. Like it shouldn't be okay. yellow cheese in a burrito. But and I guess these are tomatoes. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why it's a. I don't know why it's a V-neck burrito. That's the weird part. <laughs> V-neck burrito. It looks kind. I mean, uh, over over here anyway. It looks a little bit like yeah. a pizza. Like a pizza. Yeah, yeah. you can't. You're yeah. not getting the full effect of it. You gotta like see. <laughs> uh, oh, it's like a, it's got a nice little fold on the belly. Too. Yeah, it's yeah. Got, that's where the no, crease is. Uh, Chipotle, take note. Uh, that's how you wrap. Yeah. <laughs> this uh, is how you wrap a tight burrito. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I am sweating like a pig. Like this is really hot. The signed chimichanga. See, that one's got flavors. You give it a little kick to it. If you're listening to this one, let us know what you think of those five. We're leaning towards signed chimichanga, but it may change next episode. <laughs> if, you're, if you're still listening, so where, where does where does I have to ask though? Because I, you know, I've only listened to a couple of the episodes. Pete, Pete, where does the sign Yoda come from? Bryant. Okay, yeah, that's where that, that, that's where it came from. I honestly didn't come up with it. It's I, I am a Star Wars fan. Okay, not. I don't warrant myself being the Yoda, but it was a, a name that was given on me and bestowed upon me. And I said, all right, I'll rock with it. You got to ride it. So I was, this is when I had hired Pete to do videos for us at shop Fox. And mm -hmm. I was looking for a way to introduce him. He had, I think he had just got done with whatever clause that he had about his, his selling his franchise. So he came yeah. on board to do videos and I was like, Hey, how am I going to introduce this guy? And I was like, mm -hmm. just rolled with your tongue. It, yeah, it was something it, like we started with like guru or something like that. And I was like, this just doesn't fit. So somehow, I don't know if like the new Star Wars had come out at that time, however, how many years ago that was, but it just, it stuck, man. Or maybe it was, uh, maybe it was when the, no, it wasn't the Mandalorian. That was Baby Yoda. And my, and it might, yeah, but it might have been like uh, around that time when where it came out the first season. It might have been. Yeah, I'll have yeah, to, I'll have to look go. back. Yeah, you, you know, I, so, it, if we're talking Baby Yoda, then you know, Mike got that look down totally, right? <laughs> <laughs> Mike, Mike the Baby Yoda. All right. Well, no, I don't know. Nah, it's too, I, I just too I, I, I want to know. I want to know, Bryant. Like. The sign shop Yoda rolled right off your tongue for Peter. Like, why did 
the sign burrito come to mind for me. Like it's, it's, <laughs> no, it's that's what I was telling Jeff. You, you eat so many tacos and Mexican food. And like every time I talk to you, you're at you're in the drive thru at Taco Bell. I very rarely do I call Mike on his cell phone. But mm-hmm. if I ever call him on this cell phone, he's like, yeah, oh, hang, on, hang on a minute. I'm, I'm trying to get some lunch at Taco Bell. Can I call you back? I'm like, like okay. Yeah, I got you. Okay, so that's, that's, that's fair. I'll, go, I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. So I learned something new about Mike today. He likes domain poisoning. <laughs> Taco, Taco Bell yeah. special. All right. Yeah. So, I love it. Those, those nacho fries, man, are so good. Mm-hmm. As we get into it, obviously, anybody listening out there, you haven't been on the podcast before, Jeff, why don't you give us your sign industry backstory? Sure. Well, I think like a lot of people, I got into the sign industry on accident. Didn't know what I was getting into in the first place at all. I've been in it for 20, 23 years now, literally through a miscommunication. My, my, my grandfather moved into a, into a condo complex and got to talking to one of his neighbors. And they got to the part of, you know, what do you do for a living? And the, and the neighbor said, I do vehicle graphics. And all my grandfather heard was graphics, and I'd gone to school for graphic design, so my grandfather said, oh, my my grandson does that. And the guy said, hey, I'm kind of looking for somebody for the shop, uh, you know, why don't you bring him over? And so I went over, and two minutes after meeting the guy, I'm like, yeah, I don't do this, but I need a job, and I learn quick, so want to give it a shot. And so 23 years later, I'm I'm still a sign guy. But yeah, it started off in vehicle wraps, basically. Used to do all the stuff for for Red Bull, believe it or not, out of a little tiny three man shop in in Huntington Beach over here. We used to do all the promo vehicles. Have you ever seen those uh, those little 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 can- cars, the cans on top yes. of them that drive yeah, around the little the little Mini Coopers or whatever they are? They did Mini Coopers at one point. They started off with they were Suzukis. Like I can't remember. It was a little Suzuki that Red Bull pretty much bought up every single one that they had. XJ ninety wow. or something like that. I think is what it was called. And they would retrofit those things and strap these cans onto them. And we did all the all the graphics for that. And this was this was like pre this was like early early digital days. So that stuff wasn't done as wraps. It was, they would, the, the, the companies that were modifying the cars would, you know, build the rigs and the, take, convert the trunks into coolers and then paint the, the things in the silver and blue. And then we'd come out and put two color, a CAD cut vinyl on it. And so we did all of those. And then we were doing all of their, their fleet, the uh, delivery vehicles, all out of a little, little shop. It was crazy. Had a couple, couple 48 inch Rollins that we were running like, 24 seven just to ship kits all over the all over the u.s nice i haven't heard anybody say cad cut vinyl in so long <laughs> oh <laughs> really really what okay they, get, they gave me the warm and fuzzies what what, what okay so I'm, I'm 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 old school apparently what what is what is what does everybody call it Oh, it's just always cut vinyl now. Okay. I, yeah, just just, cut, I, I just haven't heard anybody put the, the, okay. the cat in front of it. Okay. All right. That's how I learned, too, was the cat cut. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's what, an old school term. what are the other options at this point, right? I mean, you're going to do non-cat cut vinyl, I guess. Yeah, it is a little redundant in it. Okay, well, hey, thanks for the, 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 the education. I'm going to head out now. Thanks for making me feel old. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, I started off in a vinyl shop, and then I spent the last almost 19 years at a company that specialized in architectural signage, mostly interior for a lot of that. So I got a ton of ADA signage and interior sign system design and manufacture 
and installed under my belt and, and you know, about five to six years worth of the electrical stuff as well. So it's been a, it's been an interesting, an interesting ride. You know, I find myself at this point in my career kind of reevaluating where my strengths and where my weaknesses are in the sign business. For the longest time, I've been kind of the resident subject matter expert within the company. And uh, what does that mean? You know, so that meant that about 80% of my day was spent, especially since the advent of Teams, fielding messages and, and quick calls and answering questions to everybody in the in the company from the sales side, project management, fabrication, design, pretty much everybody souped to nuts in the in the business would would hit me up with, hey, I've got this thing, what are we supposed to do with it? You know, how, how do I design this? How do I sell it? What's the right material to use for this? What's, you know, how do we install this? What's the hardware I need? How do I deal with the city on this? I, I mean, literally, I was like the Wikipedia of the company. It was, it was a very odd, very odd role. I mean, technically speaking, for the longest time, my, my title was vice president of operations. But honestly, it was just, I mean chief cook and bottle washer, you know, but yeah, it was ask Jeff, you know, forget ask G's and yes. And, and yes, there's go. another old one for your mic. Okay. <laughs> ask Jeeves, Cause nobody remembers that either. I, saw, uh, I, I remember that one. Do you? That one was cool. All right. Yeah. I actually never even used it. I just knew it was a thing, but yeah, it was just, it was, it was like, that was the company process. You know, you got a question, you just ask Jeff, you don't, you don't look it up. You don't, look into records whatever it's just call jeff figure it out you know and then of course i was the i was the resident shop box expert too you know if, if there is such a thing and that's so how jeff not. and i got introduced to each other was this, through this, this, this is true yes to, let me ask you this let me ask you as a follow-up here sure in a way you became the sign shop general right yeah. if if you got if you have all of these people asking you questions you're, you're the source of all of all of those answers. How does that make you feel as an owner that you're that tied into all of those operations, all of those key components to your business that, you know, that, that everybody goes to? How does that make you feel as an owner? Well, let me, right, so let me, a couple things. Number one, and, and, and you don't know this, so forgive me for correcting you like this, but I, I wasn't the owner. I, I the, it was the small shop when I started, there were five people there, but I got hired on. I was hired. Okay. So, you know, there's that layer to that onion, but you know, it's at a certain level is gratifying. It's good to know that you bring a value that people value what you contribute that value, that people recognize that you've got, you know, knowledge that you can you can bring to 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 help them out. At the on the other hand, it speaks to the kind of lack of training that went in, you know, systemically into into the company as as a culture. You know, it and I was just talking to somebody, I was interviewing with somebody yesterday morning and asked them what their biggest struggle was. And, this, and, and I'm, without dropping any names, I'm just going to say this is one of the largest uh, national companies in the U.S. that I was talking to yesterday. And I asked them what their biggest challenges were as an organization. And one of the first things he mentioned was, was people. You know, finding sign people is difficult. 
So often you find yourself, especially as a smaller shop, having to build your own. And that can be a challenge. You know, there's, there's, it's very difficult to supplant just time and experience. You know, you can, Mm -hmm. you can, you can support it, but I think the way that the situation that I ended up in where everybody was constantly coming to me asking questions is, is an example of maybe not having a so good of a system of, of onboarding and and building a, a basis of knowledge within the staff, you know? So let's, let's start with that for a moment for our listeners out there that are always concerned about finding people. There's tons of owners out there that own their own shops and they have the same problem, right? Mm-hmm. They have the same problem. Like where, how can I find people? How can I find people? But I don't want to talk about how to find people mm-hmm. that that's a, that's a simple, you know, 10 or 15 minute conversation, but how do you build people up? How, in your experience, how have you taken somebody that doesn't have experience and what have you done in, in your experience mm-hmm. to build them up so that they can become sign guys? or sign people, whatever you want to call them. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I think I think one of the first and most effective ways of dealing with that is doing rotations through all of the areas in your business, whatever that might be. So many of us, and I'm, I, I, I mentioned this before we started here, it, it, many of us are that kind of chief cook and bottle washer is, is, is a sign guy. You know, it, we, we tend not to be so focused on I'm a sign designer or I'm a sign fabricator or I sell signs or I'm a project manager. Yes, there are companies that are structured that way, but even in those companies, the people that tend to succeed in this industry, at least from what I've seen, are the ones that are a little more rounded and at least understand how what it is that they're doing impacts the overall process. Because, you know, every single little thing that we touch from the sales conversations to what we recommend to the customer is the solution to what gets designed to get what gets produced ultimately has an impact on the final product and how well it suits what the client needed and how happy they're going to be with it. Right. So, to me, to build that kind of sign person, you've got to you, you've got to build that understanding of the process from start to finish, and put people in different areas and let them experience the different areas. So, send your sign designer into the shop. Let them let them work with the guys. Let them let them weed some vinyl. You want to you want to you want to discourage a you want to discourage a sign designer from setting up quarter inch co- cut copy cut vinyl copy. Let them try to weed some of it for about an hour. What else? Yeah, put put them you know put them let them let them go. Maybe don't put them in the paint booth. You know, put, put them in air, but let them let them let them get around it. You know, let, let them let them see how how things and take them in through the metal fab shop. Let them see how to set up channel letters are are put together. Again, yeah, you want to discourage a half inch stroke on a on a five inch deep channel? Let him have a conversation with the guy in Metal Fab who's trying to get his his, his welding yeah. gun down into the inside of the channel and griping at him about, hey, you see how this doesn't fit in here? I, get, so, get, so, get your salespeople through there, you know. 
so what you're saying is you you basically take them through all phases of your operation from anywhere from front of the house to very deep into fabrication possibly even into installation i would guess as well absolutely and you're and you're getting them ex- you're giving them exposure into all elements of what this business is mm-hmm. and then and then at the end of the day you're hoping that they're going to pick up some of those nuggets, right? Like that there, that there's going to be something there that resonates with them, that teaches them, that exposes them, that maybe they can find a home with comfortability in some of those aspects. But what yeah. do you do as the, the manager mm-hmm. to kind of make sure that they are receiving some nuggets? Like they can walk around and I could play around in your paint booth. Sure. I don't know if I'm going to learn anything. So what do you sure. do to kind of enforce that? So it, it has to be a guided activity. I mean, y- you need to map out, here's things that I want to expose this person to, okay? So you're going to work with your staff. You're going to say, okay, put put, a, put an agenda together for the day. Hey, I, I want you to, I want them to spend an hour in vinyl. I want them to see, show them how things are cut. Show them how you load the media. Show them how things are weeded. Give them some vinyl to weed so they experience what that's like. Then get them over into this area here and show them this, that, and this. Map out, map out a an actual agenda for the day. Then you got to sit down with them at the end of the day and talk to them about it. Do a do a debrief with them. Ask them questions. What did you see? What you know? What kind of what kind of things made sense? What things didn't make sense? When you saw this, did, did, do you know why they were doing that? To, to me, any kind of training program and that, that's going to have value and is going to stick, my approach always goes to give, give, the, give the holistic, give them the how does this fit into the bigger picture, give them the why behind why something is done rather than just this is, this is how it's done. If I don't understand why something is done the way it's done, odds are I'm not going to quite grab onto it, or at the very least, I'm not going to buy in. If I don't buy in, then it's not going to, you know, it, it, it's not going to grab, you know. So, yeah, there, you, there, there's, yeah. a, there's definitely an, there's definitely an old Benjamin Franklin quote that really resonate, resonates with what you're talking about. You know, it's it's a quote that I've taught about it's a ta- it's a quote that i live by you know it says it says tell me and i forget teach me and i may remember but involve me and i learn mm-hmm. and that and that's basically what you're what you're saying here is that if you involve them in the process they're going to retain a lot and essentially yes you can't find that in any training manual so the only thing that that our listeners need to make sure that they're doing when if they if there are sh- sh- sign shop owners out there that are doing it very similarly like to you that you are mm-hmm. is that they need to have some sort of sit down the checks and balances of it all where they're going to sit down and they're going to say hey you know tell me what you picked up on tell me what you're concerned about what you saw what are your fears what are your doubts what are you excited about mm-hmm. and then let's kind of talk through those points Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that. That's a really great way of developing people in this business. I I tend to really like that. The mm-hmm. only pushback I've gotten on that in the past is how long it takes. Sure, right? It's yeah. not like you can. It's not like you can give them a playbook. Mm-hmm. You're, you're giving them. You're giving them. You're working around your operation schedule. Mm-hmm. You're working around your schedule. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can be convoluted. So that's usually the pushback there. What are your comments on that? I mean, let's face it. No, no matter how you slice this this onion, training people and developing people is a time-consuming process. If you're concerned about the amount of time that that's going to take, think about how much time it's going to take to replace that person when they don't work out for you. Think about the time spent to recruit, onboard, and go through that. If that person doesn't succeed... Failure rate, you know, the, the the replacement cycle and doing that is much more expensive from a time and, and, and money perspective. So put the time in and get it right. Right. You, you, and and you, you, you don't get you don't get a lot of opportunities for that, you know, unle- unless you want to be a shop that has high turnover. And then if you do ha- have a shop that has high, high turnover, you really need to be looking at why that is. Why? <laughs> you know, and and. I can say this, that I, I've come from a shop that had very high turnover. And I, I can talk about some of the reasons why that was, but and some of it really was in the onboarding processes. So I've learned I've learned through through mistakes. But Well let's talk yeah, about that. Yeah, that, that yeah, that's okay. a really, that's a really great thing to bring up here. Yeah. You know, when you're talking around when you're talking about people, right? Mm-hmm. And you're you have to you have to talk about turnover. So mm-hmm. go without really putting any owner under the bus sure, or any sure. mentioning any names sure you know, what are some of those obstacles that you have seen during recruitment and mm-hmm. also onboarding so one of the one of the biggest things on the recruitment side and i know a lot of small business owners are guilty of this listen during your interviews ask questions and shut up and let the interviewee talk so many times I've sat in on interviews where the person who's applying for the job does a quarter of the talking, maybe, or less, almost as though the business owner is more intent on selling the job to the applicant than the other way around. I don't know if any of you have experienced that or seen it, but I've witnessed it more times than I can possibly count. So yeah, shut up, listen, pay attention, let them talk to you. What do you what do you attribute that to? Like, hey, I'm just trying to fill the seat, or like, hey, the the person doing the interview is nervous. I mean, I can I can kind of understand if it's if it's a smaller shop and like you're a newer owner, like mm-hmm. being kind of, oh, hey, I'm trying to hire somebody. This is my first couple hires, you might be a little nervous, mm-hmm. a little prone to talking more than you should. Mm-hmm. But I think a fair amount of it is that I need a body, you know, pe- people. So sometimes it's, it's the, we waited too long. We really needed somebody two months ago, but we didn't think about it. And now we're in dire need. And so it's, you know, get me somebody now type scenario. And yeah, it, it, there's a little bit of you're breathing, you're here. Let's 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 get you in and 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 see how you do. Which you know, I I, I don't agree with, but I again, I've I've seen it. The small shop thing, I think, really plays into it. I, I mean, even even at the peak where I was before, you know, over over forty employees, there was still but still a small shop, you know. It, 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 you got more bodies, but it's still it was still very much a small shop mentality, you know. And I think that's one of the things that that, that was always struggled with. There was is was breaking out of that small shop mentality of the of the five man shop that was that it was when I started there, 
and and getting to the next level of being you know a professional organization with actual hiring practices and and, and that sort of thing that's that's something that i know i've witnessed twice now owners struggling with of of getting beyond where they were when they started the organization because so, so much of both of those businesses for me was it, it was the identity of the owner you know the, the 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 business becomes a reflection of that owner regardless of what the the rest of the team tries to do with it there's always a portion of that owner that's 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 visible in that in in that business I, I was I, I listened to the last podcast, and you guys were talking to TJ. The was it GCI, the the, yeah. the print company, right? Great example. I mean, just just talking to him and hearing him talk about his business that that business is a reflection of him, hundred percent. That's that's the customer experience is everything that TJ says it should be and is and talks about. That's that business, right? So I think I, I think you know ownership having that influence on what the business looks like and, and, and basically having a difficulty of kind of separating themselves out of it and letting the business grow into what it can be as a bigger standalone entity to get to those larger levels. I think, you know, people talk about the, the, the hurdle for, for small businesses, you know, like the first one being like cracking that million dollar a year mark. And then the next one's the five million mark, and then after that, it's ten. And once you hit ten, it kind of goes exponential from there. At least from what I've heard, anyway. We 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 really struggled. We we hovered around five million for for about ten years. Now, part of that was you know, two thousand eight recession hit. Part of that was COVID. You know, chalk that up to what it was. But honestly, I think even if that had all been taken out of the equation, I think the business would still be, you know, hovering right around five to $6 million a year, because I don't think it's been able to evolve beyond that small business mentality yet. And I, and I think that's a, I think that's a struggle that, that ownership is going to have there in, in, in doing that. So. I think that's like a whole hour long conversation in and of itself, probably. Oh, yeah. Getting past this mentality that so often we have, you know, and, and like, admittedly, even I, like, personally have some of those hangups now, like growing up, we weren't rich, and we weren't dirt poor or anything. But like, even some of the financial decisions that I make personally now are like, I'll catch myself like, Oh, hey, like, like, these beliefs that were there 10 years ago, when I was young, and and tons of credit card debt, yeah, they still bubble up yeah. to the surface sometimes. And it's totally 100% on the business side. That identity of the owner can be an asset in the, the very beginning because you're driving the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Nobody's more invested than you are. But mm -hmm. if you can't let go of the reins, and I've, I've seen this in sign shops and other companies that I've worked for, mm -hmm nudge Mike a little bit there. If if the owner <laughs> is afraid to let go of the reins a bit, then you you stall out growth, you add all this complexity and headache. Let's say for an instance you spend hours and hours or weeks and weeks putting all these processes in place. I know you know what I'm talking about because you set up your Shopbox account 
Mm-hmm. They're your former company, and I worked with you on some of that. And then for the owner or somebody else higher up to come in and just totally dis- dis- not even pay attention to the process at all, <laughs> just uh, skip the process. Uh-huh. You, you, well, and you know, it, 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 you, you mentioned something there, and it kind of goes back to Pete's question from earlier. At the, the, uh, if, if, as an owner, you are unable to let go of the reins and – if you're unable to allow the people that you bring in to do what it is that you brought them in to do, and you, if you're unable to allow them a certain level of autonomy to help you move that business forward, then those people will leave. So we talked about kind of turnover and churn that I, that, that, that I saw from an employee base. And that was one of the biggest things was bringing people in, Number one, without really fully establishing what it was that they were going to be doing or what the what the role was, because it was, again, a more of a sales pitch to get them into the door rather than an actual recruiting and, and, and hiring process. But two, then once they're there, not really letting them do what it was that they needed to do, not empowering them, you know, tasking them, but then coming in and stepping in and taking things over and not letting them do what they need to do, not letting them fail, being afraid to let them fail. You know, going back to the training thing, you've got to be able to let people make mistakes. You have to be willing to absorb that cost in the learning as part of the learning process, because that is the only way you're going to learn is to make the mistakes. 100%. Let me ask you this, Jeff. Yeah. I, I was having this conversation with somebody earlier today on one of my 8,000 meetings that I've had this week. But it, like, what was the, it, you guys did a, a fair bit of fabrication. Mm-hmm. Like, what was the onboarding time and it, like, what would you peg the estimated cost at to get somebody up to speed to where they could actually produce signage for you guys you mean so you're talking an, an inexperienced person a, a green a green hire yeah yeah basically i i've got this guy that i was talking to having a very hard time finding anybody that's that's actually skilled in the the trade mm-hmm. and you know for better or worse that's the story for a lot of shop owners that we sure. talk to sure I, I would say a minimum of six months to like have actual like solid contribution value you'll probably start generally figure you start breaking even around month three or four on like, you know, what you're paying them versus what you might be getting out of them in a, in a, in a contribution to the production. First three months are a straight loss, but yeah, I would, I would say six months to get to a point where you're actually like starting to make some actual profit dollars off the labor that you're getting out of them. And to have a, like, is every shop is so different on how they run things. And, and, and I've, I've, you know, it's one of those funny things, working for the same place for almost 19 years, I'm a little bit insulated from how things are done around other shops. You know, I, my, my exposure to other shops is not nearly what you guys have, you know, working where you did and, and coming in contact with so many different companies. So, but so I, I do know that, that some places, you know, they, they'll have people that just do one particular thing. Like you've got you got a guy that just just applies vinyl. You got a guy, another guy that just runs the the AccuBand. You got another guy that that runs the CNC and what have you. For us, we had a, we had a finish department that 
you know, they would do everything. Like we didn't have a painter or two painters. All of the guys that we had in our finish area would do, they'd do plastic fab, they'd do vinyl applications, they'd do painting, they'd do prep, they'd do edge treatments, they'd do trim capping, they'd do, you know, banner layups. They, they pretty much, you know, were all around sign fabricators. So to get somebody from nothing to that kind of level, I mean, you're talking years. But, you know, specifically, yeah, I'd say at least six months. And and then again, part of that is is how do you approach that? You know, do, do you do the approach that I'm talking about where do you send your fabricator out with your installer? Right? Do you take the time? Do you invest the time to, to give them that extra that extra training? Do, I mean, for me, sending a fabricator out with an installer is huge because them getting to see something out in the field or experience something out in the field, maybe the difference between them building something one way or building something slightly different so it's easier for install down 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 the field, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So. And I know that's one of your claims to fame, Mike, on the sign design side of things oh, is yeah. like, hey, I know I've been in the field. I know what it's like to have to improvise on an install because the designer didn't do his homework mm-hmm. on the front end. Yeah, that's 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 huge. I mean, I'm amazed at how many shops don't understand that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think everybody in the shop what you know that has anything to do with the sign from from sales all the way down through fabrication should always be on site on an installation. Well, not everyone, but I mean, they, they definitely need to spend some time mm-hmm. out in the field with the installers because install is a totally different discipline than anything else that happens under the roof in the shop. I mean, it's a completely different animal mm-hmm. and it's, it's really hard to understand until you've actually been there and done that and seen the shit hit the fan in the field. And you got to think on your feet, figure out how to fix this. Cause you know, like remaking the sign isn't an option. Like it's gotta be on the wall today. No ifs, ands or buts. How are we going to do this? And it seeing that happen in real time and seeing those guys figure it out in real time, A is amazing. I mean like installers <laughs> in this industry don't don't get the praise that they deserve. Yep. They yep. are I don't even know what the right adjective for them is, but they're miracle workers. And a lot of the things that they face in the field could and should be prevented if everybody else in front of that understood what the installers had to face. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of everybody, especially designers going out in the field and, and you know, either participating in or observing installations because there's so much to learn there that, you know, we're, we're in this industry where the rubber hits the road is, is critical. And that's where it turns, it goes from a fabrication project or an art project to a construction project. And at the end of the day, signs are construction projects and, and thinking about it and looking at it, from that perspective is hugely valuable for, for everybody involved. So yeah, I'm, I'm a hundred percent team send everybody out. And I, you know, I agree with you, Jeff too. I, I, I saw the same thing at my shop the three to six months to really start seeing, I don't even know at six months if the, if that employee is profitable, but that's really where they start contributing and making a difference. And, and, and prior to that six month mark, I mean, you have to look at it as that's investment time mm-hmm. only. You can't, even if somebody's a really seasoned, experienced sign person, they're probably not going to start contributing right away because you do things a little bit differently. There's no zero consistency in this industry yeah. from one shop to the next, right? At the very least, your so shop's laid out different, a, right? 
Right, exactly. Like, I don't, I don't know where this tool is. It's going to take me an hour mm-hmm. to find it. Yeah, I, I think that if you're hiring a new employee, like you just have to look at that first three to six month onboarding time as, as, as an investment and only an investment. And, and I think that's where a lot of shop owners fall short. Is they're, you know, like you said, they're so desperate to get somebody in that seat that they, they don't have the forward vision to recognize that this person isn't going to solve my problems right away. Yeah. And it's going to take a while. And and so then that just keeps that business owner in the mindset of of doing everything themselves and not delegating and not giving people the, the time and space to learn and make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so then they never learn. And then that problem is never solved. It just continues to compound over and over time. Well, so, I mean, you, you all, you, you, you had a franchise, right? You, you, own, you owned a franchise, you ran a franchise. I created a franchise. Yes. You created a franchise. Yes. Oh, Okay. All right. That's that's, that's a whole. That's other. why I called him Sign Shop Yoda. Yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> I the franchise. I I wasn't. I was not aware of that. Okay. Well, good on you, man. That's that's a, that's a whole other. That's a whole other beast there. And and Brian, I know you had your shop. And Mike, you had your shop. So I mean, like, did each of you have struggles with? How did you onboard people? How did you train people? Throw them to the fire, my friend. Yeah. That's, that's the like 95% solution for every shop that we talk to. Hey, watch this guy work for two weeks and then, hey, you're going to contribute. You know, yeah. Back in the day, I didn't know what I know now. You yeah. know, we, we tried. Yeah, we were in a super small town, which is always hard mm-hmm. to find talented people. Mm-hmm. Uh, even... Even not experienced people, just people that had a good work ethic and could show up on time and willing to learn and put in the hours because it's it's not easy work and mm-hmm. it's you know, you can't show up hungover at a thirty minutes late and expect to do good work. You can't. Oh, okay, sorry. I, I mean, at least I can. <laughs> Unless you're the right? owner. Unless you're the owner. Unless you're the owner, yeah. yeah. I, well, and, you know, I'll tell you, you know, being in Southern California with, you know, m- literally millions upon millions of people in the area, it's still difficult to find people who want to work and put in a, a hard day's work and, you know, be willing to stand on their feet and, you know this that and the other thing so i don't i don't know that a small town is 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 much worse but i think it's just more opportunity for failure out here but yeah i mean so like yeah and we and we did our fair amount of that you know to bring bring them in let them you know have you know you're gonna weed vinyl for a week so let's just you know let's just throw a bunch of vinyl at you and and expect you to do that and and that's that's everybody's onboarding and then then you know then you hand them you know then you hand them some sandpaper and you have them start sanding things and prepping things for your paint guy and you know eventually you, you get them productive i don't know that's yeah that's fun stuff yeah, back in the day it, it wasn't a, a solid plan mm-hmm. you know at, at shopbox you know when i hired folks like mike or anybody else I tried to be more strategic about that and have like an actual plan. Like, Hey, here's your first three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. But, but honestly should have extended that even further yeah. out to six months. So if, if I, I think that's, that's a tricky comparison there too, because like something like training people to use software, I mean, there's a lot of nuances to it that are customer specific, but it, it's, it's a little bit more of a repeat. Yeah. It's a little bit more of a repeatable process where there's no creativity signage involved. is, I mean, they, it, it, 
Yeah, he, like you can get creative just to kind of like pull the board up. <laughs> I don't know if it's the same kind of creativity. I, you know, I think I think in a sign shop, like it, because every job is so so different. Even if if this job calls for, you know, metal fabrication and paint and vinyl and and assembly and whatever, even though the steps are fairly similar from sign to sign, like every sign is so different, and there's so much. There's 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 just this, there's a huge difference from one sign to the next, and the skills required, even though they're they're similar on paper there's so much thinking on your feet that has to be done. There's so much figuring it out as you go just by the nature of this, this industry that it, it, it's hard. It's hard to put a really like a hard and fast, like training program in place that covers all the bases. I mean, you can teach people how to be a good employee and you can teach them the rules of the shop and, and, and the high level stuff. But at the end of the day, like there's, zero substitute for experience mm-hmm. and just hands on on you know rolling up your sleeves and doing it and screwing it up a few times to to be successful. And the only, I think the only people that are successful in this business because this you know this business is a trade and this is true of any trade is is the people that are successful are the ones that are going to be able to learn from their mistakes and, and and piece that you know piece of thread together there and say okay this is what I did this is the outcome it wasn't correct. If I go backwards and re-engineer this in my brain, I can figure out what I did wrong, and next time I'm going to do it this way. If somebody doesn't have that ability to do that, no matter what, like no matter how good your training program is, they're not going to they're not going to be successful in this industry or any trade, right? Like you can't teach somebody to be a, a problem solver and a creative thinker. Yeah, it's just a neat. Yeah, you gotta, yeah I, when I was when I was training owners or when I was training employees or recruiting the, the, the number one bucket for me was they needed to have this do whatever it takes mentality, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that, and that kind of speaks yeah. to what Mike was just saying, but also what you said earlier, Jeff, is that, you know, God gave you two ears and one mouth. So you should listen more than you should talk. Right. So when you're, mm-hmm. when you're interviewing those people, even in that first interview process, or even on the phone call, the first phone call re- on, during the recruitment, you know, you're, I'm, I'm, I'm training my owners and training my managers that whoever's doing the rehiring and recruiting that you're looking to ask questions to see how they're going to respond in that the ideology of will they be able to do whatever it takes to get the job done. Mike said something earlier that they, they the people that find success are the ones that can learn from their mistakes. I'll even second I, I'll echo that, but I'll go a step I'll go a step beyond that and that. People that are successful have to go into this knowing that they will make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And when they go, when they are making mistakes, yes, then Mike's what he said is right is that they have to learn from those mistakes. So whether that's hiring the right people or hiring the wrong people or training somebody or training somebody terribly and then it didn't work out, they have to be able to make changes, whether it's incremental or drastic in that, in that people recruitment topic right whether it's whether it is hiring or whether it is training whatever it is you have to be able to learn from from those mistakes one little helpful tip for for some of the owners out there just that are thinking about how to prove that their training can be better or how to make their training better there is a great tool out there called one huddle one huddle if you've never heard of it they're based out of newark new jersey and they take the train, they, they have rethought and re implemented the strategy of how people are thinking about training. 
and turned it into games to play. So they gamified the training platform. So you can make a course, that, say for a graphic designer, you can make a course of videos to watch. Maybe you can download them from YouTube and that, so if you want, you can want to take the easy way, you can do it that way, or you could make your own. And then you're gonna give a game that you're gonna play to after watching that uh, video or reading this article or case study, and you're gonna quantify their knowledge. Right. And then here's the best part. Mm -hmm. They can compete against other team members, other employees, other shops, even and being able to have like that competitive nature that games normally have. So I've seen I've seen a couple of shops go this way. You know, there are a lot of shops that use like trainual to develop manuals and courses and little and pieces and collateral and things like that. But I've seen many franchises go, or many shops go door the, down the rabbit hole of gamifying their training to make it more engaging. Because, like I said earlier, involving your candidate into the process by getting them to do something, compete, is a way of retaining knowledge and, and, and maybe shortening that window from what you said earlier about minimum six months Maybe we can bring that down with something like this down to three months or maybe even sooner, depending on the role and size of the company. But for the most part, and I think I was talking to Brian about this earlier in the week, that there is a there's a line in the sand, right? There, there's a line in the sand mm -hmm. between shop owners, shop managers, and, and then there's franchise owners, right? Franchise owners, when they buy a franchise, this is a little bit more in my background here. When they, like I said, I was telling this to Brian earlier, when you're buying a franchise, you're not buying, yeah, okay, you could be buying their name, sure. But if you're, but what you're really buying is all those systematic approaches that you and I are discussing that shop owners on the other side of the fence don't have. They have to invest time and money into designing and making it themselves. Whereas, okay, mm -hmm. all of those playbooks, all of those manuals, all of those onboarding pro processes, training on how to recruit, training on how to hire, what interview questions to ask, what job descriptions you should write out, you know, all of that mm -hmm. has been done. All you gotta do is just take it, change a couple of variables and throw it out there in the universe for your shop. And that's where mm -hmm. the franchising piece my background comes into is that when I'm trained, when I'm working with shop owners or shop managers on how to improve their business or their role, it's often in developing these strategies that you find in this sector of the business. Franchising in the side business gets a bad name. We've had guests on this show that have made fun of the fact of you know these little franchise locations I'm, like fast signs they they just do I, these little stickers i think the hosts have made yeah fun. the hosts too <laughs> made fun. Yeah. But, what but what you're not seeing behind that fence might also add some value to what you're saying is that if you are a shop that's struggling in these areas that you don't have the time to 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 coach or onboard or develop those training manuals or playbooks whatever you want to call them that, that there is an avenue for you. There is an avenue to go down to obtain all of that. Obviously, it costs money. It's gonna. It's. It, but if you don't have time, then you have money. If you don't have money, then you must have time. So, for those of us that are, that 
Well, that's what I was getting at. If you don't have time or money, if you don't have time or money, go work for somebody else. Don't yeah, don't don't, don't start a business. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, I, it, it's interesting. I, something occurred to me as you were talking about that, Pete. It, we talk about learning from our mistakes. Uh, you know, I, I want to say there's a, there's a value. Also, you need to be willing and able to learn from your successes. You know, if you, if you have that employee that takes off, spend time, sit down with them, and and figure out what you did right, and then try to replicate that. You know, so 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 often we only focus on the mistakes, the areas of failure, and we lost Mike. Oh, <laughs> what's going on back there? So so often, it's a guy in a burrito suit holding a cat. <laughs> it's something you just don't see every day. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome, Mike. Thank you. <laughs> Guy in a burrito suit holding a cat. <laughs> My life is very yes. <laughs> Mine just got a little bit surreal as well. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, learn. Don't don't just focus on the failures. Learn from the mistakes. Figure out what what went what went right. Why? You know, if 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 you find somebody having a moment where they make a really solid decision to change something or do something, ask them why they did it. Find out what their thought process was, figure out what went into building that thought process and see what you can do to spread that, you know, just a, just, just a thought off of this. Cause like I said, it's so easy to go negative so often, you know? Yeah. You've obviously, you were at your former company for, 19 years, you said? Almost. Eight, 18, 18 years, 11 months, and yeah, just just at 11 months. Six hours. Yes, uh, yes exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what, it's obviously, that's a long time, mm -hmm. especially to people in the this day and age. Like I was talking with somebody else yesterday that they mentioned something about millennials think that, that three years is a long time in a job. Mm -hmm. What did they do right to keep you there for 19 years-ish? Well, the, the, the role developed and expanded to take advantage of my skill set, I think, is the, you know, uh, it was recognized where my strengths were, and I was allowed to apply my strengths into different areas. I was, for a long time, I was allowed to contribute and, and have a voice, so that's the kind of contradictory to what a lot of people that like we were talking about churn when they kind of come in and then and then go out a lot of times it's because they're not allowed to you know have their voice heard you know and and, and anybody i don't care who it is i don't care if it's the guy that you brought in to, to sweep the floors you know he, he's he's got a brain in his head he's gonna have some idea about something giving people a an actual valid and, and and effective forum or even just an ability to know that they can be heard and respected and valued as part for, for the contribution that they bring that's gonna that's gonna buy you your longevity it really is mm -hmm. money helps sure you know, a lot of owners think, you know, I'd, well, I just need to give raises or bonuses or this kind of stuff. Yeah, money helps, but it only buys you so much. It really does. You know, you, I, I would not have, 
if my- it doesn't buy loyalty. No, it doesn't. It, 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 it buys you time. But, you know, I mean, you really want to be paying somebody top dollar if they're not loyal to you or if they're not actually, I'm going to use the word committed to the success of the company. You know, sure, they might be going through the motions. Sure, they might be doing a certain amount of work for you. But, you know, it's it's the whole hearts and minds thing. And really, that that's all about... It's all about validation and it's all about acknowledgement and, 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 and contribution. You know, I heard something a while back that was like the, the, the best way to get somebody connected to you is to have them do you a favor. You would think it would be the other way around. You do them a favor and then they're connected. No, it's the other way around. You have them do you a favor and that, that ties them to you. I, I think from a business perspective, it's the same way. Get, get them to contribute, get them to know that they're contributing, acknowledge that they're contributing and they're going to want to contribute more. There, it, there's, there's self, you know, people it can, can get self worth from that. And ultimately in addition to, in addition to money and in, in a way of, of living, this is what we spend the majority of our waking hours doing every day. And if we don't feel as though we're actually contributing or doing something of value, why do it? Amen. Yeah. Could have said that I better. I think that's the, the best advice that <laughs> will come out of it. No, I, I totally, I mean that I, I, I've kind of beat on that horse until it's, it's dead quite a few times too, Jeff. I mean, and I, I totally agree. Like, Employees have a life, and they're human beings just like us. And they, everybody wants to feel like their existence is for mm-hmm. something. Everybody wants to feel like you know whatever they're doing, whether it's vacuuming the floor, cleaning up a cat accident on a chair, mm-hmm. <laughs> or making a sign. Like right, like they want to feel like what they're doing is contributing to the bigger picture. That's just part of human nature. So, some people don't. Some people really genuinely don't care, and those people shouldn't be working mm-hmm. for you anyway, but talking, you know, all things being equal, like all employees want to feel valid and valued and they want to feel like the work that they're putting in is having an effect on the bigger mm-hmm. picture. And I, I agree. Like the fastest way to ruin employee morale and drive off, off really good employees is to not make them feel valid, not hear them and not give them a platform or a forum to voice their ideas and concerns and opinions mm-hmm. And and not genuinely listening to them and and you know running with with what you hear. I mean that's I think that alone is what separates a good boss from a mm-hmm. bad boss. I mean if if there was one thing I had to say that that really is the differentiator, it's it's a boss's ability to treat their employees like human mm-hmm. beings and not cogs mm-hmm. in a wheel. It, well, and yeah. you know it, 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 from a weird perspective too, and this is you know like we've talked so much about retention of employees one of the things that you can do that will actually hinder the ones that you want to keep is holding on too hard to the ones that shouldn't be there or don't want to be there that's the other thing you know you have to be and i struggled this with this just as a manager because Again, it's, you know, the whole onboarding and hiring and recruiting process can be so cumbersome and so time consuming and so, so energy draining that you really don't want to go through it unless you absolutely have to. So you, you, 
you will find it's easy to, to kind of like grab onto that employee and try to hold onto them and squeeze onto them for dear life. Like, don't leave me, you know, you know, I need, I need you to succeed, you know, but, but you know, you, you have to, you have to be willing to, 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 again, you have to be willing to fail, right? You have to be willing to let them fail and you're going to have people that you bring in that leave, you know, for whatever reason, you have to be okay with that. You have and and you have to let the rest of your staff know that you're okay with that. Yep. So that it, it's a it's a it's a living, breathing organism rather than kind of this stagnant pond that you're that, that, that you could potentially create. You know. Yeah. Totally. Say that again. You have to let them fail. Yeah. Everybody repeat it yeah. with me. You have to. Yeah, you have to let. Have to let them. Have to let them right. <laughs> yes. Now we're now we're like getting into like a seance. Yeah, I like yeah. it. <laughs> well, I, there's a there's an advertising agency here in in Portland called Wyden Kennedy. They're they're a very famous ad ad agency. I don't know if you guys have heard of them or not. They they're responsible for like all of Nike's advertising, and they're the ones that came up with the Just mm-hmm. slogan. In their they have a really amazing office here in Portland, and they have this giant wall on it where they did this kind of art installation there's like 150,000 like clear thumbtacks or push pins on the wall and they made this thing that spells out the words fail harder and it, it's a really sorry i just got distracted can we hold on a second mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, so, it's, it's, it's the sign husband <laughs> oh, the sign husband. oh yeah. he makes an appearance <laughs> that's great that's fantastic my 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 cat shit on the chair. That's why I had to get up and take her out of here. I'm like I'm sitting here talking and I'm like smelling like what is that awful smell? And I, she took a oh, nap nice. on the chair. It's like a common occurrence in my life. So I was texting. It's not Milo a podcast we episode talking. until one of Mike's cats shits on the chair. <laughs> How many times has that happened now? At least three, I think. <laughs> yeah, I used to happen all the time when I was doing like shot box meetings too. And like she has a habit of walking across my desk and then she's she's dropped a few right. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's a, she's an elderly cat with irritable bowel syndrome. It's, it's she keeps me. And sorry about that. Anyway, there's a, a ad agency here in in Portland, and they have this big wall that says "Fail Harder," and it's kind of like their their mantra. Like they're they encourage everybody to take as many risks as they can, you know, creatively with clients, really push the envelope, and 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 actually hope you fail. I mean, that's really part of their culture is is building failure into it because so many great things come out of learning from, from, from failure. And, and it, I, I see so many business owners, especially in this, you know, that, that try so hard to discourage failure and they see, they see somebody making a mistake as, as a, I think as a reflection on them as a business owner, but all of us are prone to making mistakes. It's just part of being a human being is you're going to screw up stuff. You're not going to do everything right. And, and none of us would be where we were if we hadn't learned from our mistakes that we made in the mm-hmm. past. But as a business owner, for some reason, it, it seems like there's just like this innate, like just disregard for the, for that like universal truism that I'm allowed to fail, but because I'm paying you, you better damn sure not fail on my mm-hmm. time, right? And that's such a that's such a huge mistake that business owners make. You, you know, you, whereas you should be encouraging them, like I said, to push the boundaries and step outside of their comfort zone and they're probably going to fall flat on their face the first couple of times. And you have to expect that and encourage it because that's how these people grow and expand and become better at what they're trying to, to do. 
And, and without an environment that actively encourages failure to a point, I, people can only grow to a point. I mean, obviously there's a point where like, if you're just constantly doing the same thing over and over again and messing it up every time, like that's, that's different than the, the failure. I think that we're talking about here, right? We are if somebody just isn't good at their job and they're just not paying attention and making stupid mistakes, that's a totally different thing. And that person should go. But if they've had the opportunity, I mean, given the opportunity to, to try and fail and try again and figure it out and get a little better each time and improve, and that that type of failure is good. It's positive, and it's 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 moving forward. Yeah, yeah the, the the failure thing requires. We were talking about with the, with the training thing. It's a, just like that with with the with the failure thing. It, it it requires the right kind of response and follow up to a failure. You know, as some sort of some sort of questioning and not not an interrogation. You know, why did you do this type thing? But you know what 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 happened okay what do you know why do you think that happened why do you think that resulted the way it did walk them through that mental process you talked about mike of let's go back through the chain here figure out reverse engineer this and think about how we could have done it differently and what what might have been the better result you know as a result of doing that that that's that's key to it too you know it can't just be unbridled failure all over the place there there has to be there has to be some uh, feedback loop in there right and it has to be it has to be done in the right right. tone and the right attitude and the right and the right approach yeah right so i've got i've got another question for you jeff and i you know maybe this will kind of bring us full circle and try to wrap this up i guess what was like the what was the final straw or what what was the series of events that led you to the end of the your relationship, and it, just to to preface that, mm-hmm. like the reason I asked why you stuck around so long mm-hmm. was I, I've noticed there's a, of our listeners there's a lot of smaller shops. Maybe it's one owner, maybe it's a, an owner and a couple of employees. Where at some point in time, the owner was like, "Hey, I'm going to grow this business, and I'm going to bring somebody like you into the fold, mm-hmm. Jeff." Mm-hmm. And I I say this because I. I respect your knowledge base, your experience, you know, of all the conversations we've had mm-hmm. among these guys, Pete and Mike, you're probably one of the other most knowledgeable guys in this industry that I've spoken mm-hmm. to. So you've stayed with that company for 19 years, obviously something worked there for a while, mm-hmm. but it, it, these other guys that I see that, Hey, I taught this guy everything I know about the business. And then what did he do? He turned around and left and started his own shop across the street. Mm-hmm. And now like that, either that trust is gone or he's scared to try again, but the business is running him over still, Mm -hmm. you know, five years later, 10 years later from that. So what was the, you're that guy, that promising number two guy that Mm -hmm. stepped in, helped grow the business, Mm -hmm. doing awesome things. Mm So what caused you to leave? Yeah. Well, I, I want to touch on one thing you said there for a second. I, and cause it's, it's applicable to my scenario. Not everybody wants to be a business owner. Not everybody should be a business owner. Okay. I, I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> and, and early in my conversations in my development, you talked about me being the number two and early in my conversations with the owner of the company I worked for, there was discussion 
very serious discussion about transitional plans, about eventually me being the, you know, taking the business over from him, you know, when it came time for him to retire and ways that we could have worked that out, you know, mechanically from a financial perspective, et cetera, et cetera. And I had to do some serious self-evaluation as to whether or not I wanted to be a business owner. And the bottom line is I don't, you, you, you know, the, it, it takes a special breed. It takes a, I think first and foremost for me, the thing that I know that I don't have is the comfort with personal risk. I'm not a gambler. I hate Las Vegas. I don't like the idea of potentially losing money. I'm not comfortable with it. So I shouldn't own a business because there is a possibility for that very much so there. And, and, you know, I, it's just, that was the, that was the thing for me. So it, it was never, for me, it was never a, a, a factor of getting, you know, building myself up, building my skill set to a point where I felt like I could take what I'd learned and go start my own thing. That was never, that was never the, the issue there. For me, ultimately, it became a point of, at a certain point, I, my voice too stopped being heard. We got to certain points where I was trying to work with the owner to make core changes on certain front end processes in how the business was being run because all of all of the downstream at a certain point all of the improvements that we were trying to make on the design team and the production team and the installation team and all of the processes you know, on the operational side of the business, we hit a wall in improving those processes because of how we were taking orders and how we were processing quotes and how we were bringing things into the, into the shop. And at a certain point, I started focusing on trying to implement change there and what was met with I'm going to say inability. It's not, not maybe not knowing unwillingness, but at least an inability to make that change and to allow me to influence change there. And so at that point, I stopped being valued. I stopped contributing and developing and growing. And I started to stagnate. And then I got COVID and ended up in the hospital. And had two weeks in the hospital to by myself to do nothing but self-reflect. And then another three months on my couch on oxygen to be separated from the shop environment and think about how, you know, my work life was going and how things were going there. And I very quickly realized I was unhappy and 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 Need, needed to find some some other avenue, some other place. You know, ultimately, I will say the last day was not my choice. The business, you know, needs changed, and 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 I was let go. I didn't leave myself, which was surprising. But you know, I I'd been look I've been looking for for months, so it it, it was inevitable. I think is really at that sure. point. But yeah, to answer <laughs> your question, it was about it was about finally getting to a point where even after that amount of time. I was no longer heard. I was no longer 
And because I was no longer heard, I was no longer valued. Regardless of how many times I was connected, how, how many, regardless of how many times I was told, oh, you're so important. And, you know, you know, I value what you tell me. If your actions don't back that up, if you're not listening to the things that I'm telling you and, and the things that I know need to happen, you know, in my heart of hearts, I know we need to do this, but we're not doing it. What value am I bringing? Why am I here? You know, Boom. so. That's that's Jeff for everybody listening. That's Jeff dropping the truth on you right now. <laughs> if you're a business owner and you've got team members that are are valuable to your organization and you don't let them be heard or feel heard or feel valued, they're going to leave you. Mm-hmm. Or they're going to check out at the very least. They're going to check out mm-hmm. of work and they're going to go through the motions. And if you're not paying attention, you're not going to notice it. And then, it, then they're going to leave, mm-hmm. and you're going to be in that six month cycle that we just talked about all over again, or longer. Especially if you're trying to replace an ops manager or somebody that has a ton of experience on how your entire operation runs. Mm-hmm. Speaking from experience, Brian. <laughs> no, not at all. None. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink. So. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound at all no. like you've <laughs> said that. You're Dude, I've, I've caught you throwing some shade from time to time. So, <laughs> so, so Jeff, I, we started this conversation off and you said that you're in a, a position for the first time in a long time where you can really sit back and think about where you want your career to go in the future and you have a little bit more control and say over that. So what do you see coming down the line for you? What, what do you... What do you want to do for the rest of your career in the sign industry? You know, I, I, I'm looking at things where I can be a little more creative. There's so much opportunity and possibility within the sign industry itself. I've been in a box of architectural signage for so long and specifically signage for like high rise office and, and hospitals. That's, tends to be pretty cook you know that's that's a small box to be in you know there's not a lot of creativity involved in that kind of stuff generally speaking you can stretch out a little bit here and there but you know ada code and fire regulations and all that kind of stuff really you know they, they really bring those walls in real tight so i'm i'm looking at things with with well number one with where I'm at right now, my options are pretty, I, I'm looking bigger organizations, you know, places where maybe they've got processes in place. They w- darn well better have processes in place, but places where I can come in and, and, and uh, bring a voice that's going to be heard. That's the biggest thing. And I don't even care where it is. I mean, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking into design stuff. I'm looking into project management stuff. I'm looking into operations stuff. I'm looking into department manager stuff, general manager stuff. Heck, I've even talked to a couple of people about doing sales. It's that, you know, it's that chief cook and bottle washer thing. And me having been, you know, for a small shop for so long and having touched every single aspect of that business, you know, my biggest thing again is where can I contribute? Can, can my voice be heard, you know, and, and where can it be heard? That's, that's my thing. You know, no, no amount of money is going to offset that. Well, maybe a certain amount, but we won't get into that. (laughs) 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 You know, I've got to make a living. Let's put it that way. I do live in California. So uh, there's that factor, but yeah, it, it really is. It's for me, it's about where can, 
where can my voice be heard? Where, where can I bring value? And that's what all of my conversations to this point have been centered around. You know, you look at my resume, it's like, it's a hodgepodge. It's all one, it's, it's all one company really, but all of the things that I've done within that company, it's you, you name it, I've done it. So you know, people ask me when I, when I, when I approach these sign shops is, you know, what do you want to do? It's like, Hey, tell me where your need is. Uh, tell me, tell me what that biggest hole is and let's see if I can fit it. Let's see if I can fill it. It's an inter- interesting spot to be honestly. It's a difficult it spot to be too, because yeah. it's like employers don't know what to do with that. <laughs> like, well, like, it, okay, it, it requires it's it's a different kind of conversation. It's it's a it's a much deeper conversation than the than than the I'm going to post an ad on whatever you know on on Glassdoor and and have somebody send me their resume and and sit sit down and do an interview with them. It's a very much different conversation. I've I've literally been cold calling myself to to the different sign companies around the area. You know, reaching, reaching out, you know, doing all, looking at all the websites and reaching out and, you know, saying, Hey, I've, I've been in this business, you know, 20 plus years. Let's talk. And having, you know, yeah. our two hour, three hour conversations with business owners around, you know, what do you do? Where, where are your, where, where are your challenges? And can I bring something to help you with those challenges? Boom. Awesome. <clears throat> I wish you would move someplace cheaper like Iowa because I'd, I'd love to have you as part of my team, but I can't even come close to yeah. you. Sorry, man. <laughs> if you ever move to the okay. Midwest, let me know. <laughs> uh, Jeff, yeah. always a pleasure, yeah. man. I always enjoy catching up. For any sign company that's out there that wants to talk to Jeff for two and a half, three hours, <laughs> if you're looking for an impact guy, you've got a hole to fill. Yeah. Jeff will phrasing. I don't. I, I don't know how. I don't know how that works as a recruitment tool. But okay, right on. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Our next yeah. cease and desist letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah another yeah. one. Another one coming. It never fails. <laughs> All right, guys, let's wrap this one up. Right, rapid fire takeaways. Peter. You got to you got to stop talking on an interview. You got to listen more than you talk. That's going to be the biggest takeaway. Uh, it's biggest takeaway for this episode, specifically for those that are asking about how do we, how could I hire the right people? In order to hire the right people, you need to find the right people. And in order to find the right people, you need to let them talk. You need to let them advertise themselves, sell themselves. Not sell yourself. Mike. The sign Chimmy Changa. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think it's got a ring to it, man. The sign Chimmy Does it? Are you, can you hear yourself? I think that the biggest takeaway for me is something that, that, that Jeff just kind of got done saying. And that, that is, this is a guy that's got as much experience in this industry as anybody you're ever going to encounter has. And he's in a way got a buffet of choices in front of him for where his career goes in front of him. And what he just said is that he wants to, 
He doesn't care what he does, whether it's design, fabrication, installation, sales, or whatever it may be, whatever role that is, Jeff can do it, and he doesn't care. He wants to be in a role where he can contribute, he can move the needle, and his voice is heard. I think everybody needs to let that soak in. That this, that he, his experience doesn't matter. He just wants to have a voice wherever he's at, and that's huge. And that's true of, I think, every single employee out there, with a few exceptions. And I, I think that's a really critical takeaway for everybody to, to really let that soak in. 100%. Jeff, anything else you want to share? Oh, I think I've said enough. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to echo Pete's thing and, and say, uh, <laughs> listen more, talk less. And I'm going to heed my own advice and, and listen more and talk less right now. Perfect. Well, right, for me, yeah, Mike said it best, man. Uh, employees want to be valued. They want to feel like they're part of the organization. They're not family. They're, I always kind of struggle when say, Hey, we're a family here because we're not like I have a family. This is their why I do part of what I do, but also I want to feel valued. We all mm -hmm. want to feel special for us younger generation. I, I don't even know why I say younger. Like <laughs> Getting ready to turn 35. So <laughs> I wake up with neck pain every day. So I, I guess I've lost the the permission to use younger. At it this doesn't point, get but. better, Bryant. Just, just so you know, it doesn't get better. <laughs> I, yeah. The I, next five years for you are you're in for a world. Oh, yeah. Like those are the <laughs> 35 to 40 were the hardest for me. <laughs> the aging that happens in that short amount of time is incredible. Guys, I, I look forward to meeting it. I, I, I just turned 48 <laughs> two weeks ago. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a whole other level of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, I appreciate that. that. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. All right, guys, a great episode. If you would like to be a guest on the Better Sign Shop podcast, what do you do? You email hey at bettersignshop.com. Check us out. What else do we have, guys? Where else are we supposed to say, Mike? Join the Facebook group and join the Mastermind group. Yeah. It's worth your time. Yeah. If you're a sign shop owner, check out our Better Sign Shop community. It is a private, safe space. We screen everybody for ownership. So it's just owners there. Talk about whatever you want. Vent a little. Come chat with us. What else? Anything else? Nope. That's it. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to us ramble on. Awesome. We appreciate you. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate Jeff, it. Thank yeah. you, sir. Take it easy. All right, guys. We'll see you. If you liked this episode, make sure you hit subscribe to get all the latest episodes. And check out our website, bettersignshop.com. Get free resources and helpful tools on growing your shop. Thanks for listening.